time. All right. Um, well, we'll just get right into it because I'm already recording, so it's good. All right. Sounds good. All right. So uh, I just saw on Twitter that you were uh, putting together some kind of red trailer, and red is like uh, not really a color that you use most often. I thought that was kind of neat. No, it's yeah, no, it's it's not. Um, it just comes factory like that. It's a uh, Harbor Freight, and what ended up happening is I just don't have time to build one from scratch. I was planning on it. I had even had plans to do one, and between the four different projects that I'm in the middle of, and the fact that we just trimmed like two freaking huge trees, and I've got a whole ton of limbs to get out, right. You know, and it, er, you do everything you can to keep the sainted bride happy because she orders <laughs> me ammo, right? Yeah, yeah. If she's your ammo supplier, we'll definitely keep a smile on her face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that old uh, cliche phrase, you know, the, if yeah. mama ain't happy, nobody happy. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, I've uh, been wanting to get you on for some time now, uh, mostly because you are the guy that is kind of known as Collapsitarian Ball, I, I guess, when we have the little fun on the on the Twitter. And yeah. uh, so I've I've had a couple of Collapsitarian episodes and uh, Jim Davidson uh, gave me uh, uh, quite a harsh critique of one of my episodes because of it. Um, but it was, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like, well, you didn't really go too much in depth with it, you know, and, but uh, so Especially now, since we've got this uh, coronavirus scare, I guess uh, now would be the time to, you know, talk about prepping, it, even if it's not going to be, you know, the end of the world as we know it. If it's just managing a storm or something like this where, you know, a lot of people are going to get sick all at once. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's actually a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks that this is going to be an end of the world virus. Um I'm one of those people that uh, likes to observe human nature and see how second and third order effects end up playing out, which I think we've seen already in the markets. Right. Uh, we're seeing it in the grocery stores. Um, the truth is, is that the just-in-time uh, delivery that everybody loves and has come to rely on can be interrupted. And it is smart to have, you know, both an emergency fund, but also to have emergency uh, rations for, you know, like you said, a snowstorm, a hurricane, you know, out here we get forest fires, forest fires can disrupt all kinds of things. Yeah. And the fact is, is that um, if, if somebody goes down because of the coronavirus and they have to quarantine or whatever, you know, because everybody's freaking out about it, you know, do you have enough groceries at home? Do you have the supplies at home that you need to keep your rest of your family from getting it? You know, if you were to plastic yourself into a bedroom slash bathroom side of the house, like I already have the plastic, the, the tape, the gloves, the mask. And it's simply because if I get it, I don't want my wife to get it. If my wife gets it, I don't want to get it because we can't both be out of work at the same time. Oh yeah, that's sure. not very. That's not a good idea. So, I mean, I'm I'm trying to look at it from a practical standpoint, which, you know, maybe, maybe I stirred the pot a little bit because I was posting a lot of the uh, zero hedge articles about the coronavirus. And you but didn't my get thought, banned, so there's that. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> and the reason I was is because simply. 
if if Twitter bans something <clears throat> like Zero Hedge simply because of the information that they were putting out, I thought to myself, you know, there's a reason why, and I need to dig into that more because the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that maybe Zero Hedge was the ones that were on to something. Right. And, you know, people like, you know, Jack didn't, didn't really want to, didn't, you know, didn't really want that information getting out there. I think now we're seeing that there's more and more people that are um, saying that it, it was a man-made virus. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know that that's like an official thing. And quite frankly, we might never actually get anybody to admit that it was a man-made virus, but I think that we're seeing enough indication that it was and enough indication that it's a super, super, super like concentrated type of virus where it's really hard not to get once it's in your system. Yeah. It doesn't mean it will kill you. It doesn't mean it'll kill you. It yeah. just means that, you know, if you do get it, it's going to put you down and there's a good chance that you're probably going to spread it before you're, before you're, um, you know, quarantine yourself. There's a good chance that you're probably going to be a carrier for a bit, sort of like flu. You know, by the time you feel the feel the effects, you've already contaminated someone. Uh, the difference is everybody has you know older relatives. Everybody has a relative that might be in bad health or has a compromised immune system. Yeah. And so I, I I think quite frankly, if people aren't paying attention, they're stupid. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things, and uh, I, I've said it before. It's like, um, well, this virus it seems that uh, is not a very hardy one. So even if it's on a surface, uh, Clorox wipes can kill it. You know, because if you look on oh, the yeah. on the back of Clorox wipes, it coronavirus is listed as one of the things it'll it, it'll take care of. So yeah, you know, just basic hygiene. You know, wash your hands. Try not to touch your face as much. Um, you know, after you use the bathroom, especially. You know. Uh, and I've even seen like this little jokey video going around of people in Hong Kong wearing the masks and the gloves. And instead of like shaking hands, they're now like tapping their feet together as a means of saying hi, which I thought was, you know, obvious propaganda from somebody because <laughs> it definitely seemed like it was staged. But I was like, well, that's also kind of a smart, <laughs> kind of a smart thing to do. But it was. Uh, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. I, I actually went to. um I went to a dinner last night with uh, zero gov and he had some of his friends over from, you know, his local area. Yeah. And one of the people there just was doing the, uh, the elbow bump. Yeah. And I thought, okay, all right, that's, that's not a bad idea. And then my wife pipes in and she says, you know, when you sneeze, you're supposed to sneeze into your elbow. So now you're pushing it on to other people. <laughs> so then it was like, oh shit! Now what do we do? So maybe the maybe the foot bump, maybe they're onto something. Yeah, yeah. could be. I don't know. Uh, it's like uh, back in the day we had the uh, the Roman handshake where we grab each other on the forearm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still do that with some of my closest friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get that uh, get that whole thing started again, but uh, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I think just with uh, all of this stuff kind of now happening, uh, whether or not it's man-made, uh, we do know that uh, you know it's easily spread. But you have a if you're not immune compromised, you have a 99 percent rate of just getting over it. 
yeah. So, but unless you're like really, really young or really, really old, you know, then your chances go up. But you have like a more uh, chance of getting stomped to death by a horse, you know. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I do yeah. think the media it's, tries to overhype it a little bit, just like they did with the avian flu and the piggy flu from years on. So, well, you know, I, I had a gathering of the minds uh, this this uh, I guess it was this morning <laughs> with uh, a couple of my coworkers that are the leery ones, you know, they never believe anything the media uh, says and they never believe anything the government says. So they're the right kind of people, you know, we call them friends. uh, (laughs) Yes, that's right. Friends. (laughs) And, uh, and so we, we were having a chat about it and, you know, we we were kind of layering this in the sense of, okay, you have, you have the event and then you have, the second and third order effects of the event. And then you have the, the folks that never let a, uh, a catastrophe go to waste. Right. That's right. The, uh, the old Rahm Emanuel quote. That's right. And so we were looking at, okay, who seems to be playing that the most and, uh, and why, and then what are the second and third order effects of their actions taking you know, a catastrophe and, you know, turning it into, you know, something that they can, uh, you know, place an agenda behind. And so we were kind of brainstorming and we were thinking, okay, well, we do have the elections. Yeah. Nothing fancy, nothing fancy kind of brought that up. I posted that video today um, was that, you know, he thinks that it's a, it's a, it's a ploy to affect the elections. I, I kind of see it as it happened. And then, oh, by the way, how can we hype this up to have an right. effect on the American people that will then later maybe – and that's possible. I, I could actually see that happening. Um, you know. And then, of course, there's the wag the dog uh, aspect, yeah. which you know, that's why I've been paying extra attention to the news that's not really covered, that's not in the mainstream media, but more in the uh, tertiary of what's going on because that sometimes that's how they're able to uh, – over broadcast one thing to take away from something else. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. You definitely see it with the, uh, with the folks who've got the, uh, the Trump derangement syndrome. And when they announced Mike Pence was going to head up the, the team that was going to take on the coronavirus, then it was all the, Oh, he's anti-science because he's a Christian and he's going to screw this up. And we're, <laughs> and we're like, it, yeah. Yeah. Then we go yeah. down into the chances of you catching it versus the survivability yeah. and everything. It was like, I, I think we're really, just playing it up and yeah. sure it'll, it'll, it'll affect the, uh, the election somewhat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's any other way around it because the news media has like started up their spin machine on, on max for the, for this whole thing. Of course. And, and, you know, the funny thing is about the anti-science comment is, uh, I was, I was, I saw a, I saw a video, apparently a, uh, a, um, a medical journal paper or something, uh, that, that got withdrawn and it was over a uh, veterinarian that works in immunizations and he was testing uh, he, you know, of course science is always to push the boundaries and, you know, to, to find people who say yes or no. And then, right. You know, supposedly we find the truth in there somewhere (laughs) if, if it's not shut down. And so they, they, uh, they made him they, they withdrew his paper uh, and they didn't really give very good reasons. And that's kind of unusual in the science community because it's really supposed to be 
you know, okay, if you don't like it and you want to laugh at it, then laugh at it and right. poke the holes in it. And then, you know, that's how you get your peer reviews and those different things. But what he did was he, it was a sheep study and he did the study on, um, aluminum in vaccinations. And now mind you, this, this doctor, scientist, whatever, veterinarian, he is not an anti-vaxxer. He is suggesting that they use something other than aluminum because he saw what happened, the effects that occurred on those sheep. Right. Uh, it made them more violent and it made them very unhealthy. But the violent part, I don't know if you happen to see any parts of it, but these sheep were basically killing each other and you never see sheep behave like that. Yeah. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because if you think about, you know, vaccines and if the aluminum is in vaccines that, you know, you remember they had mercury in vaccines and then they were like, mercury's killing people. <laughs> and so really it comes down to what do you put in your vaccines that make them unhealthy or healthy? And then, you know, how do you make that better? But here you have the science community being anti-science yeah which is kind of interesting because it's going against what um what everyone knows to be true you know the the whole air quotes around knows to be true Mm -hmm. Uh, you know gotta have the heavy inflection on that but um yeah usually if you see some kind of study get redacted or taken down there's usually a paper explaining why that happened and it's uh a lot of times longer than the the study itself because uh, they have to go in and explain, yeah. okay, well, this was flawed because of X, Y, and Z, and you know there was no control test or whatever. But if that they just took it down without really any kind of explanation, then that that should uh, send the hair on the back of your neck up. You know what I mean? It is cause for concern, and you know yeah. that that's I I that is the problem. The problem is is that things that should cause concern don't. Um, and then people get concerned over shit that they shouldn't be. And I, I think this is a perfect example right now. You know, I mean, did I get masks? Yes. Did I get enough masks for my family? Yes. Did I get a case of masks because I'm a hoarder? No. But <laughs> <laughs> see, there's a difference there. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I even encouraged the people at work. I was like, look, just get enough masks for your family while they're available. And I was saying this a month ago, yeah, easily a month ago, because, you know, in back in January, um, I was, I was looking to see if I could purchase some directly from 3M because it's always good to know what the supply chain is like further, you know, further up closer to the source. Yeah. Because if that, if that's where you get your, your, um, your strained, you know, where everything is running out or, oh, we can't find enough or, you know, we're pulling them off the floor to put in boxes because we're, you know, we're so low on uh, stuff. That's where you get your indications. See, I'm a person that looks for indicators. Yeah. And that's why I like zero hedge, because even if they're not right, they're going to report it and then they'll figure it out later. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about zero hedge is, um, you know, I I may not like some of their opinion pieces, uh, but as far as like, straight up and down analysis. Yeah. You can't beat it. You know, there's a reason why that website is popular. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just one person. I don't know if you knew this or not. I, I, I'm uh, friends with the person that actually helped start the zero hedge process. And really what it is, is it's a conglomerate of a lot of different people that can post in there 
Um, and they usually do under Tyler Durden. So, yeah, you, you know, can definitely I, tell that just if, like, you, if you yeah. can spot how people's writing styles are mm-hmm. a little bit different, you can definitely tell yeah. there's more than one person posting to that. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what the number is. I, that, that they probably keep pretty secret, but yeah, it is a pretty large conglomerate. And quite frankly, this is my opinion the more people that it's dispersed across, probably the better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want a that, situation that takes, like the Silk Road where the one guy, you yeah. know, Ross Ulbricht yeah. was hit, and then yeah. <laughs> the bad things happen after that. But uh, yeah, yeah, and you, you've probably heard me say the more decentralized an effort, the, the greater its success. And you know, we, we try to push that out at a lot of different things. These podcasts, I had somebody comment to me, they're like, "Holy shit, there's too many uh, podcasts. You guys need to get this under control." No, no. <laughs> the more the more podcasts there are. The, the more people that do podcasts, the more people that are on those podcasts, the better. Yeah. Because, you know, it goes back to that principle. The more decentralized an effort, the, the greater chances of its success. Yeah. When I started in uh, 2017, there was 650,000 podcasts. And today I was looking, <laughs> there's almost a million. Good. Yeah. That's good. So, I mean, there's a lot of people coming into it now because they figured it's like almost zero operating cost. Uh, the barrier to entry is almost nothing. <laughs> it's like, well, can and, you afford to, to upload a file? You know, if you can do that, right. then you can do a podcast pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And and the uh, it was kind of the same thing with YouTube until YouTube started, um, you know, demonetizing and started, um, you know, filtering out people and started running different algorithms. Oh, yeah. that, that, uh, that, that are different from what they used to be. Um, you know, it, current, currently it's not too bad. If you, if you log in, it'll, it'll have one algorithm, but if you don't log in, this is some, something that somebody had mentioned to me is, is if you don't log in and you just stay in from the outside, right. Um, and, and use it, it then it applies a different algorithm because see, you're an unknown and they don't want that unknown, you know, looking up three different videos. And then all of a sudden now they get all the videos that they want. And that's the old algorithm that used to do that. And now they're starting to refine that algorithm just simply because, you know, if, if you're somebody who said, Oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to look up and see what this conspiracy theorist friend of mine, I'm doing the air quotes, yeah, friend of mine, um, you know, said, I want to see if it's true. And, and maybe they actually look it up exactly by the title and they find the video. Well, the last thing that YouTube wants is 10 more videos basically saying the same thing to where they say, Oh, maybe there's something to this. Yeah. And so the way that they're running the algorithm says, is that, you know, it, it, it'll treat it like it's an outlier, you know? Yeah. So. I've, I've definitely noticed that. Uh, and James Corbett is like a perfect example for this. His, uh, in the fed uh, documentary, the uh, century of enslavement, you can't put that exact title into YouTube and get that video. You've got to, you got to do some digging and you might have to use some of the keywords that he used and you might be able to find it. Even if you go to his, uh, his original YouTube channel, you still got to scroll a little bit to find it. Which is interesting. I have noticed that myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed so that myself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm a huge Corbett fan. I, I, I devour every video that he does because he, the, the, you know, if you, if you take, if you take, 
you know, and this is not a slight against you or any of the other podcasts that, you know, that I've been on or that everybody else that, that does a podcast that I listen to. Yeah. It's very hard. It's very hard to in an hour's time or a hunt, you know, I think, yeah, I think he does an hour in an hour's time to have the, the, the depth and the, the sources that he provides in a, uh, in a podcast that he does in one hour. I'm, it's super concentrated. You can tell he does a lot of homework before he puts together a podcast. And, you know, when I sit down and I watch his podcast, this is going to be a lot different than anybody else's, but, or mostly different. But I mean, I, I sit there and I'm, I'm taking notes. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Mike Maloney, you know, Mike Maloney has got that super concentrated, you know, you can tell he's rehearsed, you know, he's got great graphics and all of that because, well, he's monetized. Yeah. And exactly. he's a bit. Yeah. He's a business too, you know, on top of that. So you're going to have a better quality, uh, thing there, but at the, at the same time, you know, how many are they going to do, you know, one a week, you know, maybe one every two weeks, maybe one a month. You know, there was a while where I wasn't seeing anything from Corbett. So, you know, this is why the more podcasts, the better. And quite frankly, it's also, uh, entertaining. Oh, yeah. you know, there are times yeah. when I don't want to sit and take notes. I just want to sit and listen to two people that, you know, both of which I'm like, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I can see where he's coming from and, and listen to the two of them talk to each other. And that's actually pretty nice and entertaining too. Yeah. And even if your podcast hosts and guests aren't sticking to the topic or whatever, the, the, the conversation, wherever it goes, is sometimes more entertaining than what they were talking about before. <laughs> So, yeah, it gets pretty crazy. I've, uh, I'm guilty yeah, of that I've been myself. Known to wander. So, yeah. <laughs> I've been known to wander. <laughs> yeah the uh, the other night I had uh, Rollo from uh, Rollo uh, McFlugel uh, that podcast and like the first hour we were talking about apples, not anything right. in particular, just about our favorite apples, which is kind of funny. Yeah, that's funny. But uh, yeah, all right. So to get back on track, um, so yeah, I, and. I like to do these type of episodes every now and then it's like, all right, so what are you going to need if stuff goes down? And uh, we definitely know that no man is an Island as much as we like to think. So Uh, you're going to need help from your friends. And, um, and uh, it looks like you've got like a nice little community over there. Cause uh, I see all the pictures on Twitter of your various projects. And I know it's not just you behind the camera most of the time. So uh, why don't you talk about the, uh, the, the latest uh, little project you got going on. Okay, so um, I have, let's see, one, two, I have three projects currently that I'm looking at in my garage, um, and then one outside in the yard, cutting trees up. Uh, It's starting to come out of the wintertime. We're starting to get uh, buds on trees, so if I don't get my tree trimming in, I'm really going to regret it because some of these trees, they just grow out of control really quickly. Even in Arizona, we get we get some, some trees that, that grow pretty fast. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and we, we've had a really good wet year this year. We've gotten more snow and more rain than as far as I can remember, which is good. You know, in Arizona, it's good. It, places that has too much water, that's not good. Yeah. Um, so I have that. And then the reason why I'm putting the trailer together is because I got to get this, uh, all this stuff moved out of the yard and I didn't have time to get, um, the trailer that I wanted to make, which I know, and my wife is right. It would take me forever to get around to. And, (laughs) uh, she's like, honey, you know, whenever your wife criticizes you and she says, honey, I love you, but 
Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a cue. You should just listen. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that's that. Um, of course my big project, which is the buffet, um, back, there's a backstory. So the backstory on the furniture that I've been building for my wife is that 10 plus years ago, almost 11 years ago when we got married, um, I told her, um, don't bring any of your furniture. I have some furniture. We'll just work off of that. And then when we get to a point, I'll be able to make us furniture. So, you know, fast forward about eight years. Okay. We're, yeah, a bold we're, statement. we're in our, just make it. <laughs> yes. We're in our second house. We're in our second house. I hadn't made any furniture yet, but as we moved into the second house, we said, you know what, let's get rid of all the old furniture, which a lot of it was left over from my first marriage. Right. And, uh, you know, my wife was kind of celebratory getting rid of that. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, and then the process of what, well, wait, what furniture do you like that? We hadn't gone into that. You know, most people have that worked out in the first year, two, three years of their marriage. We didn't have to because we were, you know, using old, old stuff that we didn't plan on keeping. And we had kids. So we figured, you know what, when the kids are gone, that's when we'll actually have furniture that's decent. You know, because you know how boys can be. They, they tear furniture up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My 11-year-old so, exceeds at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that, sounds like, that sounds like our youngest. So, so we, ended, uh, we ended up c- c- settling in on uh, a type of furniture that I liked. And I really didn't think my wife was going to like, which is a vintage industrial. Um, it's... It, when I first started building vintage industrial, it wasn't super popular. Now people know what it is when you say it. They're like, oh, yeah, that's all the iron and steel. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, which was about almost four years ago, um, I was building entertainment center and end tables and different things like that. And I slowly kind of worked my way from one room to the next. And then I worked out a deal with my wife and said, hey, when when I get finished with the land cruiser and the trailer, what I, what I want to do is I want to, um, you know, get back to, you know, the dining room and different things like that. Right. So. All right. Well, hold on just a second. We'll be right back. All right. Now that we've paid some of the bills around here, now back to the interview. So, um, sorry, a neighbor was stopping by. So I just pointed at my hedge funds and he was like, ah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows the score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He knows the deal. So he's also my, um, my, uh, my left, my, my left flank security. So, oh, nice. um, but anyway, so, uh, what we, what we did was we just started, you know, working through, um, I do plans. I don't take what somebody has made and copy it. I try to make it as unique as possible. Something that people, you know, Oh, that's interesting. And, and also I I like to take challenges in and kind of work through those challenges because it it makes me a better, it makes me a better builder. And so this current one is 10 feet long. It's a buffet. It's designed to go with a table that I built last year. It has um, the, it's an Oak top. It's eight quarter inch Oak um, it's 40, 44, roughly 44 inches wide by, um, about nine feet long. So it's a really big table seats about 10 people. Yeah. And 
my goal was to have the rest of the furniture, you know, worked on this year. I got, you know, one set back, but, um, I'm kind of working through it. And, you know, now I've got a lot of the tools that I need to be able to work the, uh, the top and work the doors. I'm going to do rail and style doors, which this is my first time. So, you know, throw that challenge on there. I'm like, oh, I've never done rail and style doors. Let's do rail and style doors. Style yeah. doors. You know? <laughs> so I'm learning everything I can about rail and style doors. I don't want to do pa- uh, race panel um, because I, I, what I like is I like the look of like an aged glass yeah. and a window pane, you know, with the, with the cross section and the window pane. Yeah. So that's what I want to learn to make. I'm going to do it oak. I want to kind of make it a little bit aged, but not, you know, super aged. I'm not going to burn it or anything. And, uh, then the top is going to be oak. It's not going to be as pretty as the, uh, as the table. But one of the things that we want to do is the, 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 the steel, we're going to stain it. And I'm, I'm going for, it's a chemical stain that makes steel look almost a little bit like stainless. So it's going to lighten parts of it up. It's going to darken other parts hmm. and it's going to put some turquoise in the mix on the metal chemically. So once it's in there, it's pretty much in there forever. Yeah. So it's going to have that little bit of a bluish tint to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's going to have like nice. a, yeah, it's going to have a little bit of turquoise in there. And, um, and then what we want to do is, is whatever we do on the steel, uh, then when, when I do the wood, the wood is going to have the doors. It's going to have the same stain as the top. And we want to go about maybe three shades darker than what's on the table. And that way they, they kind of match, but they don't, Yeah, you know, you don't want to have everything look identical because that's a lot of white oak in one room. Yeah. And so, you know, to have a little bit of color, you know, differences and stuff like that. The, but the other challenge that, that this, um, this buffet or side table has, uh, has taken on is, is 10 feet is too long to take from my front yard in through the front door, down the uh, hallway, and then make a turn, a real hard turn into the uh, kitchen slash dining room. Yeah. And so what I decided to do is just to make it in two pieces and then they slide together and bolt together. So that's, it's, it's not a major engineering feat, like, you know, say the great wall or the San Francisco bridge. Yeah. But, um, for me, you know, <laughs> being an unskilled, you know, being an unskilled fabricator, I think it's pretty decent. So it's going to turn out all right. Yeah. It's always that, uh, thing where it's like, I, I don't even think we can get this piece of furniture through here. <laughs> not without killing ourselves. Uh, but yeah, yeah, at least you figured it out. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to chop it in half and we'll just slide yeah. some pins in there and it'll be all right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, going through the process, um, you know, I like it cause it's a, it's a mental challenge. There's, there's always, you know, some, some intellectual process or math that's involved. Um, I also, you know, I like to do, um, I like to weld while I drink whiskey. Yeah. Well, this one is completely dry because, I started it after the new year and I had, I had made kind of a challenge for myself, which was to try to get more done, um, in a short, shorter period of time oh, and then okay. kind of, kind yeah. And then kind of be able to take it easy a little bit more because 
my wife kind of gets after me. She's like, you get all these projects, you spread them across, and then you never have any time for just you to do something that isn't involving dirty, grimy, <laughs> grease, right. you know, that kind of stuff. like, I'd really like it if you'd just, you know, be able to, and, I, and you know, when your wife asks you to do that, you're like, hey, I'm going to work this into my plan. And so this is what I came up with. So I'm going to do like a kind of a blitzkrieg uh, projects. Um, and then I've got that training course in April. And I'm kind of excited about that because this will be the second course that I've taken that's been run by, you know, retired, uh, you know, Delta operators. Okay. So this is going to be, yeah, so this is going to be a pretty good course. And, uh, you know, lots of rounds downrange. Um, Zero Gov's going to be in there with me. And then we've got a whole bunch of Leos that are going to be in the course. And then a couple, you know, has been military types like us uh, in the course. Yeah. And so it's good. But, and, and about four of the guys that are in the course are the people that would be on speed dial if, you know, if things were to go wrong and I needed somebody. So your, your own personal uh, QRF. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Mutual assist team, you know, is really, is a really good, um, is a really good idea. I think um, when we were talking about, you know, things going wrong, I think that's a really good idea is to have that. Um, and it's kind of funny because um, I don't know if you heard the story, but um, one of my buddies uh, lives a couple doors down is uh, he's a local PD guy and he was working nights and he had, I guess a tweaker um, come into the house while he was in the house sleeping because he's working nights. Right. And somehow he's managed to get into the house and I guess he was looking for something and, you know, he wakes up with the dogs barking and that kind of deal and chase, you know, chases after chases after the guy. Once he realizes somebody was in his house, he got about halfway down the street and we were all working in my garage. He got about halfway down the street. It was a Saturday and uh, he's still in his boxers, you know, and he was like, did you see somebody come through here? I'm like, I see who, what, where? And so he, Whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, you know, we're jumping in trucks and, you know, throwing on more guns than what we normally wear. And we're, you know, flying around, you know, driving around looking for him. We, we had boxed the, the entire neighborhood like three or four times before the, uh, the local PD even showed up. <laughs> <laughs> so well, there we are. We're out in the front yard. He's now changed. He's all dressed and everything. And we're kind of going by our, you know, strategy. What did the guy look like? Let's get another better description. You know, you know, he's kind of passing the information on to us. Right. And, uh, and so we're, you know, kind of discussing it in the front yard and that's when the PD show up. So they're there, you know, and we got, you know, a couple, you know, some kit on, you know, there might be a long gun or two, you know, or three and that kind of stuff. And we're all there and we're like, we're like, Hey, what's up? You know? And, and they're like, what did you see? Are these guys? <laughs> Just, he's like, Oh, that's the neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Talk about an eye. So, <laughs> yeah. So now, so now my end of the neighborhood is known as the, you know, like, you know, that that's the zone that you guys don't really need to go through. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you ever seen that movie Fort Apache? That's them <laughs> down there. Yeah. 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 So no, did they, kind of did they catch the tweaker or did he just, they got did. out with his, they did. Uh, Oh, they did catch him. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So this is not, this is not a, this is not a uh, happy, uh, you know, the government doesn't waste your money story, unfortunately, because it doesn't end there. Then they put a helicopter up in the air oh, no. and they're looking for him this way. I kid you not. 
put a helicopter in and I, you know, and of course they're always looking for flight time. So they're not going to say, what? that's stupid. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, this, this is a law enforcement officer involved incident. So of course they have to throw everything they have at it. Right. Right. And so, um, so they're, they've got the chopper in the air and all that kind of stuff. And at some point we're just like, okay, let's get back to work. So <laughs> we get back to work. They never did find them. They got probably an hour or two, uh, you know, time in the chopper. And, um, and it's kind of funny because it's a little town, you know, it's like, really, we're going to put a chopper in the air to look for a tweaker. This This is pretty sad. One guy who was like wandering in to try to steal a PlayStation to get his next fix or something. (laughs) Probably, probably. But it's funny because about uh, two or three weeks later, um, they, they caught him because he was bragging. I don't know if it's on social media or to his friends or whatever. And, they got back and they figured out who it was and scooped him up. And sure uh, enough, it was him. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Your mouth um, will get you in trouble all the time. <laughs> well, because when you do something stupid, you like to tell everybody. Yeah. It's like, Hey, check out this stupid thing I done did. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you get photos or video. <laughs> I'm yeah. still, I'm just trying to imagine what the pilot is thinking. It was like, there's no way I'm going to catch this guy, but you know, flight time is flight time, I guess. But exactly they're just like okay let's box around it's like oh look down there and it was the weather was kind of nice so you know he might have seen some people out you know maybe by the pool in bikinis or you know i don't know so i don't know i don't know what it entertains pilots you know at uh, 250 maybe now probably about 500 feet yeah you know you can't really make out too much at 500 feet so not really i guess the imagination would have to fill in the blanks on that one Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, pilots are kind of weird, uh, weird people anyway. So that's all good. Yeah. At least in my experience. But, uh, so now you're getting all these, uh, projects kind of blitz blitzkrieg so you can get them done. Uh, what's the uh, training class that you're going to take? Is it like a tactical carbine or are you doing, um, some other kind of shooting? So it's advanced, uh, pistol and carbine. Oh, and, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, uh, 2000 rounds, two days, and it'll be, um, you know, basically, um, circle drills. I know this, this sounds really boring. Um, but it's, it's just a sh- shit ton of circle drills and it's, you know, ready up and then on the target. And the guy who, uh, runs the course, um, is really good. Uh, he's, he's, um, I, I would say he's prob- probably been in over 400, combat engagements so you know he has a little bit of you know a little bit of experience and when i mean engagements i mean like you know an actual firefight yeah like real Um, real stuff yeah (laughs) yeah so and 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 what uh what he did was he basically built up his his training regimen around what he was doing when other guys were doing like crazy crazy stuff that is never going to happen right in a gunfight right um, he said, I'm, I'm just going to concentrate on this and this and this and this and over and over and over and over and over. And, um, I, th- I think what happened was the unit started to take notice and started to implement a lot of what he was doing back into their training regimen. And, um, and so he's basically bringing probably some of the most relevant knowledge from an operational, you know, tier one operational unit, um, back out into the, um, the commercial sector. Um, because it's, it's, he has an LE, uh, you know, only version course, which I frown at. Um, yeah. 
and then he ha- and then he has you know a basic and then he has an advanced and and I I don't really know where we fit because we have a combination of everything because we've got SWAT you know guys in the course and you know stuff like that so I'm I'm imagining that we probably are getting a potpourri of uh, of what he does which to me I look at it and say any opportunity to train any opportunity to train with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And any, op- any opportunity to work out TTPs with my brother, you know, cause zero gov is practically my brother. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is always a bonus. So that's, that's basically what we're doing. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I've been doing dry fire drills like crazy and, um, I worked out a nice little callus on my, on my one thumb and, <laughs> and uh, on the inside of my uh, middle finger where your middle finger engages the uh, bottom of the trigger guard. Right. Um, you know, when you're, when, when you're doing like your mag change, you end up using that, that middle finger up against the trigger guard to quasi support the, uh, the, the, the carbine. So, you know, that kind of thing, which is good, you know, car, um, you know, car, um, you know, get, getting calluses and stuff like that are always good. And, um, and, and it's also given me an opportunity to try to nurse my shoulder back in, to uh to good health because i'd gotten really bad last year kind of overdone a whole bunch of stuff and so what i did was i started with my absolute absolute shortest ar and did drills on it so you just like weights right so you start with something light and then i started working my way up and you know now i'm doing stuff with the 308 just simply because it's got a little bit more heft and the the idea is yourself back up to that too i'm sure yeah. Yeah. Probably about uh, 5,000, probably about, yeah, probably about 5,000 dry fire drills since January. Um, and it's taken that much time to, you know, get my shoulder to where I can heft, you know, even some of my heavier ARs around and not have it bother my shoulder, you know, within a day or two. And that, that was really the, that, that's, that was the important part was that I didn't want to get to the course, you know, and, and, and just, oh, well, yeah, I can't do this because my shoulder, you know, cause that, you know, that to me, that would make me suck. And I, I don't want to suck. I want to get there and I want him to say, you know what? These guys aren't too, aren't too bad. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's the person you want to be in as a, as a student. And so, you know, that's, that's basically what I've worked on. Cause I, my understanding is, is that the better, that everybody shoots, the more he's willing to, okay, let's try something new, you know, Hey, let's try this. Let's try that. And, and the way I look at it is, is that that's just money in the bank because if you're paying the same amount of money and everybody sucks and you get less training, or if you same, you know, get the same amount of money and everybody works really hard and you get better training, that's just money in the bank. So, yeah, I remember years ago I took like a uh, a dedicated pistol course, and uh, mm-hmm. like half of the people on the line, it was like their first time pulling a trigger on a gun, and <laughs> yeah, so we didn't really get a whole lot of training out of it. I maybe got like one or two really really good points to to practice on when I got back home, but yeah, since half of the class had never owned a gun before, <laughs> it's like okay, well I guess we're gonna wait for people to understand how to hit the mag release on their pistol and then put another magazine in and we'll just go over basics <laughs> yeah. for half the class. And that yeah. kind of sucks. So I, yeah. If I hear like a, an entire class gets it right off the bat and then you're getting taught extra stuff that he wasn't going to cover, you know, then it's that, yeah, that's just like you said, money in the bank. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I did that. I had a uh, prenup with my uh, my wife that she was going to do a uh, a combat pistol course, you know, and a concealed carry course and all that kind of stuff. And and um, and so, you know, she kind of she kind of drug her feet and drug her feet. And then she's <laughs> like, OK, let's go. So I had a chance to go and take her to that. We went, ended up going to front site. And uh, front front site's pretty good. I mean, yeah. you know, they, of course, they've got their commercial aspect where they want to sell memberships. Um, but to me, um, if, if you if you get good instructors, and and we were fortunate because we had we had like two active duty or not active duty, but like reserve or National Guard um, SF guys that were that were actually getting their their instructor time in when we went. So so they. You know, they were 18 Bravo, you know, SF dudes that were given the course. So, nice. of course, it didn't suck. It was actually pretty good. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and you know, what I didn't know is I, I, I wore one of my um, group T-shirts. And all I did was just put a huge target on me. And yeah. all, I did, all they did was just, um, you know, all right, SF, let's go. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, that was that was. I learned that time is like next time I'm gonna wear a Barney T-shirt <laughs> or freaking you know Daddy Daycare T-shirt and and then they'll be like, damn, this dude's good. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting him to show up with the Hamburglar on his T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> just get like really weird with it. Just like have like a some kind of pink like a hentai picture on there or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep him guessing. Yeah, that that would. <laughs> That would actually be pretty funny is, is if I went to this course in April, but instead of, you know, having my, you know, flat, my typical flat, dark earth, you know, well kitted out AR, maybe I show up with like that unicorn princess AR. Yeah, there you go. The Hello Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Hello Kitty one, I, I, I get a chuckle every time I see that one. It just kind of show up and it's all pink and white and it's got the Hello Kitty on the stock and everything. And you're like going, oh God, someone spent some money to paint that. <laughs> yeah somebody spent money on that that yeah that's painful <laughs> yeah but yeah as long as i can hit what they're aiming at i don't care you know it could be um about the other silly thing was uh i saw in one of the gun forums some guy made a suppressor that looked like a dick <laughs> which was hilarious oh yeah i did see that yeah <laughs> i was like wait yeah. is that like a suppressor what are they and then they showed like the uh the cad works like cutaway of it and i was like oh okay nice yeah. And then I think somebody was saying, you know, you can get it, you, you sent off to the ATF to have them um, uh, come back or, and say, state whether it's an approved uh, muzzle device or not. And, right. You know, of course, then it's been passed around. They did the same thing with the, uh, the ball sack four end. I don't know if you remember when that happened. They, and yeah. this is, this is kind of funny. This is kind of funny. It's, it's my sense of humor really. So I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of jealous. That I didn't come up with it, but, um, what they did was they wanted to send off, um, they wanted to form a business around the idea that people were going to be taking a cat, um, uh, was a cast, a cast mold, um, plaster mold yeah. of, of, of their own ball sack. And then, and then basically pour in the resin that turns it into a, um, basically a perfect mold of your, of your of your scrotum. Yeah. And, and then, and then it, 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 then it's attached to the Picatinny section that turns it into a forend. So essentially you're, you're using a, a, a perfect to scale mold of your ball sack as your, right. as your forend. 
And, and the, the funny part wasn't that the funny part was that they afforded you the opportunity to send said foreign to the ATF so that they could then fondle your ball sack (laughs) in the process of deciding whether they were going to agree that it was in fact an approved foreign. And so that was actually the good sense of humor. I thought that was pretty funny. And so that was, that was what, uh, that was what ended up being, being the, uh, the humorous part was, yeah, that they, they found something that, and then finally, and this was pretty funny too, because they, they ended up publishing the letter from the ATF that came back and said, okay, there's no need for every customer to send their, <laughs> their exact um, sample for approval. This has an overall blanket approval that they are all considered an approved uh, you know, forend. Which I thought was funny because what that is is that someone at the ATS said, you know what, we're going to probably get 10,000 of these letters. <laughs> and so somebody at the technology branch came up with an idea. Maybe we should just do a blanket letter. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just send it out there because I'm literally tired yes. of touching all of these dudes' balls. <laughs> and, the, and the fact is, and I know this sounds terrible, but the fact is, if you're going to have a government agency, you know, not that you should, but if yeah. you're going to have a government agency, then you should keep them busy with shit like that so that they're not out bothering people. And and also it might take him down a peg or two, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to go home yeah. and he's going to say, yeah. I literally had to touch six different sets of <laughs> testicles today. <laughs> right. And then, and then when I wasn't doing that, I was, I was getting these, uh, these suppressor or uh, fake suppressor, uh, models that that look like a giant dildo. So that's literally all I handled was dick and balls all day. Yeah, all day from from nine a, nine a.m. to five p.m. all day, <laughs> which is appropriate for them, yeah. in my opinion. It should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's a a good place to end it for now. I guess we can always uh, have you back on at some point when uh, whenever your projects uh, start to die down a little bit. But Skip, it was uh, it was awesome to talk to you. Uh, where yeah, can they find you out you. other than Twitter? Just Twitter. Just Twitter. All right. So that's have- it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm weird like that. I can only handle one type of social media or super, super secret handshake kind of <laughs> website. And so I'm just like, yeah, Twitter's enough for me. You know, yeah. it gives me something to do when I don't have anything to do. And then, uh, with my ADHD, you know, you can kind of tell. And then after, when I, when my projects start picking up and I'm busy and I'm doing stuff. And if you don't see me, it doesn't mean I'm sleeping. It just means that maybe I'm just busy living my regular life with, you know, family and all that kind of stuff. So. Yep. But you I'm post on there pretty there, regularly. So it's, it's I try. Right. Yeah, I do. I try uh, mainly because there's so many people. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but there's so many people out there that really need to hear, go fuck yourself. Yes, they really and do. And so, and so I work really hard. I want, I try to make sure that I don't miss anybody every now and then somebody like ats me in there and says, you know, Hey, did you see this? You know? And of course I have to oblige them. So yes. I, I do my best. Yeah. It's like, I see it now. I will go take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the tip. <laughs> yep. All right. Skip man. Well, I'll let yeah. you get back to it. Uh, have yourself a great evening right. and uh, we'll see you, you around. Too, brother. Okay. 
All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Bye. All right. All right. And there he goes, folks. Skip the Collapsitarian Ball. Oh, it's been a long time coming. I've uh, been wanting to have him on for a long time. So uh, with that said, everyone, check out the uh, show notes below. Uh, if you want to send me a message, email, or voicemail, I got the links for that all in there. Uh, if you're finding a lot of value in the show, and this is uh, this is the important part, uh, get value for value. You know, send a few bucks my way. I've got all different kinds of ways to do that. You can do that through Patreon, Subscribestar, Bitbacker.io, Float, uh, or even just the PayPal if you want to send that uh, fiat currency my way, which I will then uh, convert into something else like advertising or getting better equipment um, or reference materials, all different kinds of ways to make the podcast just a tiny bit better. If I'm doing a lot of things 1% better then then, you know, it, it gets better from there. All right, guys. Well, until next week, enjoy yourselves and we'll come back with a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. This is the Rebel. Out. Out.